Cool. Well, welcome to the first podcast of the modern game. We've heard players, ex-footballers, pundits talking about football for years and years, and we just wanted to put something out there from the fans. Um, for, for this episode, we wanted to go away from coronavirus and talk about the rule changes of last season and those effects. I've got with me two friends. When I was actually thinking about the best people to put on the podcast with me, I thought, I've picked these two gents, but then I actually thought they're both Liverpool fans. So, But I thought I'd still go for it because I think their opinions will be great for this subject. So I'll let them give a quick intro. So we'll start with Sam. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Sam Drury uh, and I am a sports writer for Sky Sports. Been covering football and cricket for five or six years now, actually. Awesome. So we've obviously got a specialist sports fan on there as well. And now we've got Kareem as well. Hi, I'm Kareem. I'm also a Liverpool fan. I don't have Sam's expertise, but I uh, I do watch a lot of football, so I'll say that counts. Cool. Okay, so firstly, obviously, we've got to go to the main subject and the main change on football of the Premier League this year. And obviously, that's VAR. Um, every single person's got mad opinions on it. And when you spoke to people at the start of the season about their opinions, they probably differ to their opinions now. So... Um, what are your original thoughts of VAR, Sam? Um, I was in favour of it when it was sort of first introduced. It had been talked about for a few years. It was sort of introduced at the World Cup. We saw it. And on the whole, I thought it worked well. I think there was a couple of incidents in the final that weren't, weren't as great. But overall, I, I was sort of looking forward to it. thought, in general, it should make everything fairer because um, it was... In the years before, it was all talk about refereeing decisions, were big teams being given the decisions, things like that. And so overall, I thought, well, if it's you got a camera, loads of cameras looking at it, surely it makes things fairer, should make it a lot simpler. But, uh, well, it's not turned out quite like that. Yeah. I've got to say, I don't know, um, thinking about how it has turned out, Kareem, what, how would you think it's turned out from now, from the start to now? Yeah, I agree with Sam. I think... Um, at the beginning, I thought, in theory, it should be absolutely brilliant because you get rid of all the bad decisions. You, things don't go wrong as much. We all know how annoying it was before when you just finish a great game and all you're talking about is the decisions the referees made. But it feels like, what, a year on? That's still what we're talking about at the end of the game. I think the biggest problem with it is that in the reality of it, it's still manned by the same referees who were making those decisions in the first place. So I think in England in particular, that's definitely the case. If you look at other countries, how they're doing it, Germany, even the international matches, it just seems to work a lot better. So I don't think there's a problem with VAR itself. I think the main issue is who's looking at the decisions at Stockley Park. Yeah, do you think there's a problem though? Because like you go to the studio at the end and there's four people in the studio and they're debating the decision and two of them think it's a penalty and two of them don't. Is that a grey area you'd say, Kareem? Yeah, uh, yeah, I would. I think um, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? It's never going to be as black and white as goal line technology where something's either over the line or it isn't. At the end of the day, it's still someone's opinion. Um, it's someone's opinion on whether something is clear and obvious, I guess. Um, but I guess that's always going to be the problem. I don't know how we really solve that. I guess one way to do that would be to give the referee on the pitch the final decision, get them to go and look at the screen rather than have someone make it for them then the responsibility still lies with one person at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how Stockley Park works, but if, for example, if there was four people in the Stockley Park studio, 
two of them thought it was a penalty and two doesn't? Does it go to like the referee decision like it does, for example, on cricket, where if it's out, it's out. But if it's if it's not out, it's um they go to they go to back to the umpire on the field. What do you reckon, Sam, being from the cricket side? Well, I mean, I think in the Stockley Park, you've got the main video assistant referee. So he's the one who feeds it back, but they've got a load of screens. And the thing, the difference, as far as I can tell from cricket, one of the big differences is who's in charge of the cameras. So in cricket, the third umpire will look at all these screens and he will ask the director of the TV um, company, whoever's in charge, to get the best angles for it. So there you're getting an expert who is always doing it to find the best angles and do it as quickly as possible. With VAR, I think you've got... And so with that, for the cricket, for example, and for football as well, there is, I think, 20 people, roughly, something like that, in a truck, all looking to try and find different angles and things like that. As far as I understand it, in the VAR, they've got some people like that, but I think there's only sort of three or four, and then the referee in the at Stockley Park is looking at the angles as they see them and so that's sort of one of the issues has been time people saying it's taking too long and then it was sort of a change people said if they rushed things I think that's one of the issues where it is different to cricket is that you've not got expert people necessarily or enough expert people in charge of the camera angles and so that leads to decisions because I think there's been a couple this year where all of a sudden an angle has appeared for like the handball goals that has shown a handball, but the goal's already been given because it was it took three or four minutes before that angle was even shown and played restarted. So yeah. I think that's one of the differences, certainly with cricket. Um, the other one, it's an interesting one because people since it's started is about whether to go down the along the lines of cricket where you get two reviews or tennis, you get, I think it's three in a set, is it? Something like that. And whether that's the way to go, because then it doesn't stop the flow of the game as much. It may be up to the manager or the captain on the pitch to choose when he wants to review a decision. I mean, it feels like they've gone down this route, and if they are going to do that, that's a major change. But, I mean, that's definitely something worthy of consideration if it continues to be as controversial as it has been so far. Yeah, it's very tricky because, like in cricket, you can have a three-minute break and it gets the fans quite excited by it. But in football, if you're stopping footballers who are running around, athletes for three minutes, they're going to be passing the ball between them, doing little drills to keep themselves warm. We can't really be waiting three minutes. But um, I guess it's it's so tricky. Like, do you, what is the opinion though on the screen? Like that little screen they have at the side of the pitch at the World Cup, they used it quite a few times. But like, I've not really seen them use it in the Premier League very often. My opinion on that is like. We don't want the ref going off to the side of the pitch looking at a screen for a few more minutes and making the game even slower. Unless it's, I guess it's um, been looked at by so many people knowing side, and then it's pretty much a null and void decision. You probably have to have a drop ball on the penalty box because no one can decide. Do you, um, do you reckon they should use the screen, Kareem, or not? Yeah, absolutely. I think they should. I think if the referee misses something, say he misses an obvious penalty, and someone in his ear says, well, I think you might have missed that penalty, you might want to see that in my head it makes much more sense for the ref to go then all right i've missed it i'll go see on the screen see what i think and then give it if i think it is rather than just say i'll take the word of the person in my ear i didn't see it but i'll just give the penalty i think that takes away a bit of control from the referee where really the referee on the pitch on the day is the one that should be in charge if he gives a decision and he doesn't know why he's giving it then how can he sort of answer questions from the players and stuff it would make a lot more sense if he's got sight of everything 
and then he can talk to the players on the pitch and help them understand what's happening and he'll know what's going on more as well. It's tough though because if you're a referee and you've given a you've not given a penalty, for example, and it goes back to a penalty, does play, players probably start thinking to themselves, "Is this ref actually on it today? He's already missed three decisions, for example. Three decisions have gone. They've had to go to the replays and the screens and everyone. And it's like, is this ref actually on it today? And I can imagine players probably think the same about cricket too when they're watching a cricket match and the ref and the umpire gives like seven or eight decisions wrong in the game. But I got it. Does it make it more difficult for referees, Sam, do you reckon, sometimes? With the monitor? Um, possibly. I mean, because I, I agree with Kareem now that I think they should start using the monitors. But initially, I, when they said they weren't going to use it in the Premier League, I was in favour of that because my opinion was that pretty 99% of the time, if they asked the referee to go and look at the monitor, that's because the people in the van or wherever they are have decided that they think he's made the wrong decision. So the referee, as soon as he's asked to look at it, in his head's thinking, oh, I've made a mistake. And so it more often than that would change his decision. But the way it's gone in the Premier League this year, it's almost like with none of this, the VAR, it's normally a more junior official is in charge of it and seems to not want to contradict what the more senior officials said on the pitch. I mean, that is, we can't say that for certain, but... It's, it's sort of a natural instinct. If you're the person in the van, you've got, say, Michael Oliver's the referee, leading Premier League referee, and you're a guy who's done two or three Premier League games, are you going to want to come out and say, well, he's made... If, especially if it's still even vaguely subjective, do you want to really go against him and look like... and show him up almost? And so it's, it's things like that as well, because it's like Kareem said right back at the start, it is still down to the people who are in charge of the system. So then do you look to have people who are specialist VAR referees almost, who then know the technology, go by the laws of the game and things like that? Because Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Sam. I think there's definitely a, a place for a new, a new kind of official, a VAR specialist. At the moment, they're just putting existing referees in Stockley Park. Whereas if you train people specifically for VAR, they'll naturally be better at finding all the camera angles quicker, seeing things that the referee might not see slightly quicker. It's the same as having sort of a good positional sense as a referee and reading the game. If a VAR specialist could almost read what referees are likely to miss, if that makes sense. So that feels like that's sort of a natural progression that could help improve things. It's mad though, because you do think with the technology, like it's, it shows how crucial it is. Like they introduced goal line technology the year before. For me, obviously goal line technology is black or white. The ball's in or the ball's not. But if you think about even the biggest games, both as Liverpool fans, it's made such a difference both seasons. It's actually been the difference probably in a way of the last two titles. If you think about the 11 millimetres, the one at, um, where John Stones cleared it off the line at the Etihad. Like, when you not think angle, about that. I know, but you look at every angle of that and it looks in, but it shows that season was so close. Two teams pretty much on 100 points and it was millimetres. Then you go back to the one at um, Anfield this year when people were going, oh, it hit. Trent Alexander's hands. Personally, when I watched that, I thought, well, his hand's quite close to his body. And it also hit Bernardo Silva's when you look at replays like three or four minutes afterwards. So you've got, yeah, you've got massive games, massive decisions. And in the end of the day, it's still a matter of opinion. And when it's gone to the VAR studio, it's been their opinion. Then you go to the pundits at half time. And I remember watching at half time, and there was like five or six people in the studio, and no one could decide still. 
And then they show this Bernardo Silva angle. It's, so it shows that it is changing where the league's going to go. And I guess the main solution, which I'm sure you guys will probably agree, they're not going to change it for next season. I can't see VAR disappearing. But I guess the solution, if you think about long term, it's going to have to get better. Mm. Yeah. And I think each season it will get better. Um, do you think there's any chance I'll cut it or do you reckon I'll just keep going till it gets better? Sam? I, think I can't see them cutting it, personally. Um, I think the whole thing is new. So it's a case of you've just got to keep tweaking it, look at what's worked, what hasn't worked and go from there. And I think because offside's been one of the sort of... Offside should be the same as goal line technology in that it's either off or it's on. But then you've got people talking about is the technology good enough in terms of can you tell exactly when a player makes contact with the ball, things like that, what's the margin of error. But it's, And so you've got things like that. But really, with VAR, it's getting blamed for things that are actually to do with the laws of the game. And yeah. it's just that because you've now got this technology to show it and they can look back at it over again, people, the, the laws are actually being implemented more strictly than they were before. Mm. Because obviously when they were written, the thought was, well, we're not going to have, it's just the referee on the field, he makes the decision. And so it's almost, do you, and so there's talk of changing rules to sort of accommodate VAR. And so then you've got a whole debate about whether that is actually the right thing to do or not. Mm. Because off, offside was not brought in for, to stop somebody having half a toenail further ahead than the other player. That was initially brought in to stop teams having a player just goal hanging, standing by the goal, boot the ball upfield. But it's then how you implement it, because ultimately, even if they're talking about thickening the lines, aren't they, for when they do it on the screen, which I think is a good idea, in that it gives you some margin for error to sort of make up for sort of whatever lapse there might be in the accuracy of the technology, things like that. But there's still then, despite that, you can have a thicker line, somebody's going to be one millimetre over that, and people will then be furious that an offside's been given, when realistically that might mean that the player's 11 millimetres offside. But it's, it, it's how you then, I think it just goes back to how you interpret the laws, and do you, do you think, I'd be interested to get your, both of your opinions on this, whether you think it's worth changing the laws because of VAR, or is that changing the game even more than VAR's already changed it? What do you reckon, Karim? I, th I think there's always room to change laws if it helps improve the game. We, I mean, some of the laws we've seen change this season, goal kicks, you can pass inside the area now. I think that's a good thing to help um, encourage sort of passing a traditional good style of football. We saw a couple of years ago, they brought in, you can pass backwards from a goal kick. So you've got, one, uh, not a goal kick, a kickoff. So you've got one person taking a kickoff. I think little rule changes that are, have, are trying to improve the game are always going to be a good thing. I think with offside, like you said, Sam, that was introduced originally to stop attackers gaining an unfair advantage, basically, wasn't it? And um, what we're having now it's not that if someone's got an armpit offside. So maybe we can look at changing the rules. I know one thing that Arsene Wenger, I believe, has suggested was to have daylight between the attacker and the defender. That's the only way it would be offside. So you could be leaning forward, 
your body is in front of the defender, but as long as your feet are behind them, it's fine. As, as soon as it's daylight, that's when you're offside. I don't think that's a bad idea. I guess there's still going to be that issue with there's still going to be that millimetre or something. But then at least when there is daylight, you can say they're definitely gaining an unfair advantage. That should be the test to me. Um, the good thing about that is we see more goals. Well, exactly. And I think we all want to see more goals, don't we? Do you remember before, um, before VAR, it feels like a long time ago now, whenever there was sort of a tight offside decision, the phrase you always heard was, we'll give the attacker the benefit of the doubt. That's completely gone now, hasn't it? If it's tight, you, you don't know what way it's going to go. Something can look completely onside in real time. You can think of a couple involving Raheem Sterling this year. I can think of one involving Firmino, where they look on the side to the naked eye. But then as soon as they bring the lines in, they uh, start the angles, then suddenly it's a millimetre offside and you can't really understand why that's happened. It's a mad thing though, because I'd say I'm a Stockport County fan, so I would, I've never been to a game where I've been like, oh my God, VAR makes a difference, and the, my team score a goal, I'm in jubilation, I'm enjoying the celebration, and then we've got to wait for a little man in an office about 100 miles down the road making a decision. As, I guess as a Liverpool fan, when you're in a stadium and you celebrate a goal, does it affect how you celebrate a goal, Queen? Well, yeah, well, I was actually at the uh, City game when um, there was the, the handball from Trent um, before it got went up to the other side of the field and Fabinho scored that goal. I had, honestly, not a clue what was going on because everyone was just celebrating. They announced sort of... The only thing I heard about it was 30 seconds later, VAR check complete, goal given. I had no idea what they were checking, why they were checking it. We could see that City players were annoyed, but when you're at a match, you just think, oh, they're just annoyed because they've conceded a goal or they're just complaining about nothing. Whereas, really, that was probably a nightmare scenario for the guys in the VAR box, wasn't it? That's the one thing they don't want, a controversial decision, and then for it to result in a goal on the other end. Because with how much we were celebrating and how little how little um, communication there was between VAR and the fans, I don't know how they could have disallowed that goal. There would have been riots. It would have been crazy, which I guess is always going to be the problem with VAR. You can't communicate it effectively to the fans, unless there's a big screen, I guess, in the stadium, which Anfield and Old Trafford, I think, are the only two stadiums where we don't have big screens, so it's very difficult to kind of communicate what's going on to us. Yeah, so I guess it's always going to be a subject which is going to go on and on. And the thing is, um, as I said before, it, as I say, it probably will get better. But um, as a fan, um, if I was a Premier League fan, which unfortunately I'm not, but if I was, I would probably be, I'd probably lose that. I love celebrating goals when I've always played sport. And I think that that moment of celebrating a goal and you can't celebrate the same way, for me, that takes like the fun out of it in a way. However, I guess it's VAR as a subject that we're going to constantly talk about. And um, for this, I think we should move on from it now. I think we've had our say... Um, Let's go to an interesting, another change actually they made this season, which I was um, very interested in how they introduced it, was the winter break. And when I first saw how they did it, I thought five games across two weekends in February. I thought that's great. It's like, well, when you watch a weekend of the Premier League, there's probably five games on TV and five not. So you're going to get all five games each week on TV. So the TV rights, you're going to get just as many games of football, which is ideal. Um, but they have no winter break in the lower leagues. Number one, yeah, and they have no, and thinking about the FA Cup replays, they all dropped into the 
um, winter break. So people didn't actually get that winter break. So what do you reckon, how do you reckon the winter break worked as a Liverpool fan? Because I know obviously their form changed a little bit afterwards. What do you reckon, Sam? Um, I think it was good that they introduced it. I think it's been a long time coming. You've heard Premier League managers asking for it. I mean, as a Liverpool fans, we've heard Jurgen Klopp has been a big advocate of a winter break pretty much since he first came in. Um, the way they did it, I think, was a good way to introduce it to English football because it meant that there wasn't at that time where you had a weekend with no games whatsoever. Um, but I think it, it's something that I think we're going to have to get used to. Or Well, before the current situation, I think it would have been something we'd definitely have to get used to. It's gonna, it was here to stay, I think. And arguably, I think there's a chance that they would have made it a longer break because realistically, it was a one-week break, right? Because then as soon as you've, you've had a week off, you don't have a round of fixtures, you're back in the next day to prepare for your game or you finish, you have a week off then and so on. I mean, it's interesting when you look, because ours essentially, as I say, is a, was a week off for teams. And so I've had a look at sort of the other, sort of the, the big five leagues. La Liga and Serie A have two weeks off. So that's two weekends with no games. Ligue 1 has three, and the Bundesliga has four, and that's actually a shorter break than they used to have. I mean, they've got less teams in the league, so I suppose they have more time. But it's the benefits, whether it is beneficial to the players to have that longer break, because the time that it get, I used to hear it get brought up a lot was during major tournaments. England players looking exhausted in a World Cup group game. And people were talking about, is that as a result of not having a winter break compared to other teams around Europe. And I mean, there's got to be that argument. The other argument is you've got a load of sort of Spanish, German, French players playing in the Premier League who looked absolutely fine. So maybe it wasn't that, but... <laughs> yeah, we're maybe just making excuses for our um, slight bad um, form at tournaments. However, obviously brought in this year, we don't really get a chance now to see if it made any benefit. So, um, but my, in my imagination, they'll probably continue into next year. But if I think about Bundesliga, four-week break, Kareem, wouldn't, you'd probably need a pre-season, wouldn't you, have to start after that? Well, you, you probably would, but I think they do do that, don't they, um, Sam? I think they probably do have a couple of friendlies in the lead-up to it, probably behind the closed-door friendlies. But I, I, I could definitely see it going longer, going two weeks. I guess the difference that we have here because we've got that second cup competition with the League Cup, haven't we? So there's always going to be those extra games that we need to fulfil. And replays as well in the FA Cup, third and fourth round. We've got all these extra games that other countries maybe don't have. So is there that time to increase that winter break? I think in general, the winter break is of some kind is absolutely needed. There's too many games. Players play too much. There's too many injuries, I think. We can't expect too much from these players. These players, sometimes they're playing a whole season, then an international tournament every summer. There seems to have been a Copper America for the last six years. I don't know what's been going on with that. I think um, we need, in my head, we'd have a winter break every year and every other year there'd be a summer off for all players. So the Copper America should coincide with the Euros and the African Cup of Nations. That should all be one, one summer, then two summers later the World Cup and every summer in between you've got that time off because I think otherwise we'll see more injuries and less quality players, I think. 
Yeah, you make a good point on injuries because people always go, oh, they're getting 100 grand a week, they should be able to play three times a week. But you can't just put a coin in someone and make them work. Like, even if they're a top athlete and they get injuries, they're not going to be able to play. And we want to watch the best players. And um, as fans, if I go to, if I pay X amount to go and watch a football match or I'm watching a game on Sky Sports, I just want to watch the best players play. And I guess that is the key part of the winter break and the reason behind it. Um, the good thing I think about the winter break personally is they didn't change it over Christmas. Christmas football is great. You get to see different players in the squads and managers being clever with how they use the teams. It's quite an interesting tactical thing off the field to watch as a fan, I feel. So, um, yeah, but I guess, obviously, FA Cup replays dropping into it. Is that, that makes the winter break a little irrelevant if you... Because a lot of teams, you don't want to make the FA Cup irrelevant. It's one of the most traditional trophies in the UK. And people talk... A lot of managers take it quite seriously because I guess uh, once you get to Christmas, you sort of know if you're in the title race or not. Um, obviously, they did remove fifth round replays and to me as a lower league fan the FA Cup's got amazing income for lower leagues taking that chance if I was a Stockport fan and we drew say Liverpool at home and we managed to get a draw I wouldn't want to go to penalties an extra time I'd want to go for the replay so are they favouring the top teams do you reckon Sam with that or do you reckon they should think about the lower league teams as well a bit more I think that rule was brought in with the top teams in mind so like the Premier League sides because obviously again does it go back to the national team trying to start players playing too many games? Well, I think it does certain well, all the way down the football pyramid, I think scrapping the replays probably does help in terms of saving players' legs because obviously the championship, League One, League Two, the schedule is absolutely brutal. Games like every midweek essentially throughout the season. There's so many games. Do you want to put in extra games? for the FA Cup replays. And I totally get your point about the, the sort of the romance of the cup. You want to be able to go to the bigger grounds. So one of the things that I've seen in terms of that is, do you give the sides from, say, League One and below, get drawn, and they get the option then of whether they want to play home or away. Because then you get either, you can have your home advantage, take the big club, you have a big day out of your ground, and maybe you have an agreement with the Premier League club that you take full, all the revenue from that game goes to the lower league club as well. Or do you take play away and there you do get the big payday that can and has helped so many lower league clubs sort of survive for another two, three years just, just off the back of one game. It's a big change and it's, where, and it's how sort of that will be received. But I think ultimately... The longer this sort of goes on, I think you're going to get a time. It's already stopped. The fact, as soon as they scrap the replay from the fifth round onwards, it kind of opened the door for them to scrap it from the rounds earlier. I think that's just sort of starting this process. So I think ultimately you're going to get to a situation where the Premier League clubs, maybe championship clubs as well, because say Leeds don't really want to play replays if they're pushing for promotion. They want to be focusing on that. So you're going to get to a stage where I think they do ultimately scrap replays, at least from the third round onwards. And I think overall, as much as some lower league clubs might want the extra game and things like that, I think that is probably beneficial to more clubs than having the replays where you're then going to have the top clubs saying, well, we don't want to replay. So we'll put out a team of kids in both games anyway, even if it goes to that. And is that devaluing the competition even more? 
Yeah, you make a good point. And I think like with the FA Trophy, what they do in the lower leagues is they give both teams a decision if they want a replay. Most teams do take the option to take a replay. But the mad thing is they play on the Saturday and the replay is on the Tuesday. So rearranging the game is quite difficult. Um, but I think if you do that, it's great because the two Premier League teams drawn against each other, both of them say no replay. They don't have a replay. The lower league teams drawn against the Premier League, they have a replay. But the Premier League team should technically, theoretically win. So it might make them put slightly stronger teams out and lower league players get to the chance to play against the Stars. So um, it's, I guess it's up to debate, but I think, as a, as I say, as a lower league fan, replays and the romance of the FA Cup is something we really look forward to. But guys, great to talk about this. And um, obviously the first um, episode of The Modern Game, which will be released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, um, that'll be out in the coming days. And we look forward to our second version in the coming weeks and hopefully you'll listen in. So thanks for your time, gents. And um, I say my name's James Duke and thank you for listening to my podcast.